You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And just like that, we're back. I'm Josh Pate. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast for Tuesday morning, May 4th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Just a laughably tragic situation unfolding right outside the window next to me as we speak. High atop downtown Nashville. It's very, very early Thursday morning as I record. There is a line of severe thunderstorms moving through. And here's the problem. At the apartment complex I live at, downtown Nashville, it's really nice, wonderful people. We just got new management in. And they've done everything that they could possibly do to be welcoming. They've upgraded and overhauled some access systems, made this easier, that easier. But mm, 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 one thing that I want to warn any of you who ever go into apartment management about is you can't forget to take down the pool umbrellas when severe weather is approaching. It's not a good look if you've been on the job 10 minutes or 10 years. And right now, our courtyard is an absolute EF5 level disaster. Fortunately, that looks like it's as bad as it's going to get this morning. But you may actually hear thunder as I record because it's really loud outside right now. I don't think I've ever recorded or spoken to you during severe weather. So here we go, I guess. Listen, I got to say something before we get into this really, really good mailbag you guys have given me. We have got some people that are approaching some milestones personally. You don't know them, and I'm not going to mention their names until they give me the clearance to mention their names. But you know, I talk a lot on these podcasts and occasionally on Late Kick Live. I'll say, if you want to book a Zoom consultation with me, go ahead and do it. I've been doing those for really a long time, but I've been doing them really here for a few months. And I'm very, very proud of some of the folks that have hopped in those and have started YouTube channels or in a couple of cases, podcasts, or maybe in another case, applying to jobs that they have been accepted to. And so I am all for gratifying and I am all for promoting you guys as soon as I have the clearance to. But ahead of that, I just want to say this is the perfect time of year to jump on that stuff. If you've ever thought about doing that, getting into sports media, getting into media in general, starting your own YouTube channel, podcast, doesn't even have to be about sports media. But if you've thought about doing that in the world of sports media, really good time to do it. And I'm really proud because... Some of the folks that I've only spoken to in the past few months have already gotten things off the ground, about to make money in some cases on that. So you'll see me periodically give shout outs. And when I give shout outs, either on Twitter, Instagram, or on here, that's what that's about. So really proud to see that. Hats off. And hopefully what starts as a hobby can end up becoming full time for you. I know it can happen because it happened for me. So congratulations there. All right, here's how this works. Tuesday, Thursday morning, every week, it is joshpate706 at gmail.com or on Twitter or Instagram at LateKickJosh. I'm taking questions and I'm delivering as good an answer as I could possibly give you. It is the Late Kick Extra Mailbag Tuesday edition of this week. And let's dive right in this morning because we got some good stuff. David leads us off. David said, well, it was a long message. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it down and then I'm going to dive into it. David said, do you think college football is missing a huge opportunity? with the way out-of-conference scheduling currently happens. Now, what David was talking about is, right now, he thinks it's ridiculous that all these games, these out-of-conference games, are scheduled five years, 10 years, sometimes 15 years ahead of time. And what he's saying is, how do we know which program's going to be good or if either program's going to be good by them? And so what he mentioned is, this last season, we saw what was possible. And I agree with this. I'll circle back in a second. He said... We saw when Brigham Young and Coastal Carolina got a game off the ground in the span of a week, 
we saw that what we had been told our whole lives about it taking five or ten years in order to get an out-of-conference game together, that was not true. Really, if people were pressed into action, they can get it done within the span of a week. And I agree with that. So then David, to circle back, like I said, is saying, why don't we get better control of this? Why don't we sort of do the accordion where we truncate it and we wait until closer to the actual dates that these games would happen, and we let universities and conferences kind of work together and decide, how do we best market this? How do we best take advantage of the opportunity that is out-of-conference scheduling? Now, that was David's very broad idea, and what I'm doing is I'm going to build off of it, and I'm telling you, I would love this. Now, I'm going to present something that is purely concept. There would be several hurdles to overcome. You would need to upend the system to do this. But again, as COVID showed us, it is possible. Anything that you really have to do, you'll find a way to do. So in concept, in theory, imagine this. If this was the college football year. So you have the national championship game in January. And then the next thing on your mind is national signing day, which is first week of February, the second signing day, first week of February. And then you go into about a month, month and a half's break. Then you open spring. Here's what I'd love to see. I would love to see tentpole events at the beginning and end of spring. So I'd like to see a little more uniformity in spring scheduling. But independent of spring scheduling, imagine if every year, if you're a Clemson Tigers fan, before spring, you get your conference schedule announced. Now, you may know the teams that you're going to play because the rotation's already figured out. But let's say the league collectively creates a tentpole event Right before spring opens for all the ACC teams, we announce which games you're going to play in conference on which dates. And so that's a huge event. Everyone's looking forward to that scheduling event. But then comes the real kicker. After spring, so post-spring, when everyone's wrapped their spring games up and everything, there's a second announcement. And that's in conjunction with other conferences or other league partnerships. This would be messy. I'm going to grant you that. I understand there would be a lot of fine print to work out but you find out you're out of conference games for that year after spring. Now, I want you to pause for a second. Everyone just had a reaction to this. Some of you loved it. Some of you thought, oh, there's no way that would work. Well, for those of you who loved it, thank you. For those of you who don't think that would work, let's walk through it. I know why a lot of people think it wouldn't work. And the majority of that has to do with you being married to the concept that schedules have to be worked out well in advance. Okay, I think we shot down that notion this past year. So let's just rethink this. Pretend like we just showed up to the table, remove all your preconceived ideas about scheduling, and ask yourself from a pure practicality standpoint, what is really standing in the way? Because a lot of times, in order to drag their feet and make an intellectually dishonest argument, some administrative types would say, oh, well, we got to book travel well in advance. Oh, well, we got to do this and that in advance. Man, let me tell you something. That stuff is not nearly the hindrance that they're telling you it is. If I were to announce a game a week ahead of time, yeah, that gets really hard. If I'm announcing that thing four, five, or six months ahead of time, it's not. Especially if they know it ahead of the public release, they can get a jump start on all that and they could book it. So I am not for a second going to be convinced that procedurally they couldn't get that off the ground. Now here's the second part. The second part is kind of it's it's just kind of out there. It's nebulous. They'll tell you, well, you can't schedule these games that quickly. It's got to be done years in advance. And then you ask them why, and they say logistics. But then you say, could you give me some specifics on the logistics? And they'd say, uh, blah, 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 blah. And essentially, they would try and make you think you're not smart enough to understand. 
when in reality, they themselves can't give you a tangible reason. So then here is the third and probably biggest point. This is the pushback you would get from coaches. And this is probably the most valid one. I would just argue there is a workaround. The valid pushback from coaches is pre-spring and during spring practice, coaches like to work on future opponents. They like to work, especially non-familiar opponents. So the ones you don't play every year. If you're Clemson and we find out that you're going to play the Missouri Tigers this year, then they want to be working on some of the very, very early install type stuff in practice in the spring. And if we're not finding out who we're playing until after spring in the out of conference, then how in the world are we supposed to do this and that, yada, yada, yada. And look, there is validity to that argument if the argument is this is the way we've always done it. So if you change this, it's going to change the way we've always done it. But you know what I would say to that? Respectfully, if I were talking to Dabo right now and he were to push back on this using that thinking, I'd say, hey, how do you find ways to get ready for bowl games? Because they don't let you know who you're playing in a bowl game until less than a month before the game happens. And things tend to turn out okay, especially for Clemson. They turn out okay a vast majority of the time. And so the pushback would be, again, blah, 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 blah. That's what it would be. Here's the bottom line. There is nothing that logically prevents us from doing this other than, well, that's just not the way it works typically. Now, what David is saying is this would be great. It would create spectacle. It would create two tentpole events in the spring. The NFL is phenomenal at this. The NFL has understood how to spread out their events over the course of a year to own the entire sporting calendar. There is no NFL season. The season is the entire 12-month calendar. Uh, That's what I believe college football could do for itself. Because think about what this would do. Here is the new college football calendar if we were to implement these changes. National championship in January. Second signing day in February. The announcement of the conference schedule for each conference at the beginning of spring. Then you have spring practice. Spring game at the end of March or more likely mid to late April. Then at the end of spring practice, you have the announcement of your out-of-conference games. I mean, that would be a monster event, by the way, every single year. Finding out who you're going to play out-of-conference, huge. Then you have a little bit of a lull, but really you don't. Because now you have transfer portal season that happens at the end of spring. Then you have off-season camps. You have a recruiting hot period for commitments for that upcoming cycle. Then you have media days in July. Then you have fall camp opening in August. Then you have the season starting in September. It runs through December. Early signing date right after the end of the regular season and right before bowl season starts. And rinse and repeat. There is no downtime there. The closest thing you would get to downtime would be the month of February. And then also the second portion would be right around this time. So the end of spring, you get your announcements for out-of-conference games, and then you think it's the off-season. But really it's not, because if you're a diehard college football fan, you know there's a ton going on. Right now, I can't go to 247sports.com in a 10-minute period without seeing a new headline about someone transferring, or recruitments happening, or commitments happening. There is no downtime. There is no off-season. It's why we don't use the word on the show. It's why there's no month or two-month break that we take for Late Kick. We do these shows multiple times a week year-round. Well, it's not just to keep up appearances. If you understand the sport, you understand there's no reason to ever take a whole lot of time off in this thing. And that's before we implement the new proposed structure here. If we were to implement this structure, then you get two major scheduling events in the middle of spring combined with whatever else we already have going on. David, I like the idea. I'm on board with it, man. Next up is Chase. Chase, this is a good question because this is something I used to talk about a lot when I was down in Columbus about one team in particular. 
Chase said, Do you believe there is a no-man's land of sorts for elite programs when it comes to record? Like an area that isn't bad enough, but it also isn't good enough. So if I complain, I sound ungrateful. But if I'm happy, I feel like I've settled for less than I deserve. Chase, man, you might as well have been listening to me when Kevin Sumlin was at Texas A&M. Kevin Sumlin was at A&M, and Kevin Sumlin at A&M inevitably had that team floating in the nine win per year range. It seemed like forever. In reality, it didn't last that long. But tell an Aggie fan, in the midst of it, it didn't last that long. And here's what was happening. They saw what was possible when they had Johnny Menzel there, and they had their breakout year, and they beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa in 2012. They saw what was possible. And so everyone collectively all of a sudden realizes, wait a second, Texas A&M should be a national player. In reality, they always should have been. But then they really realized it. We got this SEC affiliation now, and we got all this money like we've always had, and we got immaculate facilities, and we've got commitments to upgrade them if they're not immaculate. So what's stopping us from being a national player? And the answer was the mirror, Texas A&M. That's all that's ever stopped A&M. Okay, and I agreed with that. So then here's what happened. They never really used that as a springboard. They never really took the next step, so to speak. That's what everyone's always looking for. Can you take the next step? Preview magazine season is nearly upon us. And there will be paragraph after paragraph about which program is ready to take the next step. Well, A&M got stuck in the same gear. And they never could take that next step. But here was the problem. They weren't terrible either. And so, Chase, here's how it went down, man. Every year they got further and further down that road with Kevin Sumlin. More and more people started to realize, we're not going to win a championship with this guy. But then, in the very next breath, they said, but he's doing pretty good. And that was exactly where they were. Where you just talked about, Chase, that's exactly where they were. They're averaging, they're floating any given year in that nine win per year kind of range. And so on one hand, they look down and they see a lot of their brethren way beneath where they are. So they don't want to complain because they know it could be so much worse. Look at where this program is and that program is. But then they look up and they say, oh, there's there's Alabama up there. I wish we could be there. And so then if you complain, you sound ungrateful because of all the folks beneath you. And it's a no man's land. And what ended up happening, Chase, and it kind of happened with Mark Richt at Georgia. I got a question about this that I'm going to tie back in later in the podcast. What happens is fans get to a breaking point, and it happens different for different fan bases. But maybe if you're an A&M fan, you can relate to what I'm about to talk about because you know what I'm talking about is true. That collective fan base got to a point where they entered a season and they said, I would rather win four games this year than win eight games. They want to win a championship. They're not pulling against the program, but what they have realized is if we float at nine wins, it's never going to be bad enough to fire this guy. But at the same time, we believe we deserve a title, and he is never going to be good enough to deliver it. So we would rather see things just go rock bottom. We'd rather win 11 games this year or four games. Don't give us a result in the middle because a result in the middle – just endorses more of the same, and it's going to push it another year further down the road, and we're no closer to where we want to be. And Chase, you used the phrase no man's land. I don't think I've ever heard a better description of what that area of fandom sounds like and feels like than no man's land. That's exactly where you are. You find yourself in a very, very uncomfortable situation of actually, you know, in a roundabout way, rooting against but also rooting for your team, it's very difficult to explain to a non-sports fan. Because the non-sports fan would say, well, you want to win, don't you? And you'd say, yeah. And then you'd say, okay, well, nine wins is good, right? It's much better than most of the sport. And you say, yeah. 
And then they say, well, what's the problem? And then you have to look at them and just say, you don't get it. And then they say, no, it actually sounds like there is someone in this room that doesn't get it. It's just not me. And then you understand why some people are made to be sports fans and some people are made to run scuba diving Instagram accounts. Both good. Both have their place in the world. But sometimes one group has a hard time understanding the other group. And with that, the podcast rolls on. So Shane is asking a question that is an evergreen question in nature. It's relevant year round. And it's also one of those questions that is genius to put in a podcast because everyone has an emotional reaction to it. It's kind of like if, if you were to hear someone say, hey, let me give you my opinion on whether aliens exist. You are going to shut up for at least five seconds and listen to what comes out of that person's mouth next. Guaranteed. Doesn't matter whether you're 100% convinced they do exist, 100% convinced they don't exist. You're going to listen to what that person says. And so Shane asked a very similar question, only it is very terrestrial in nature. He said, are you a coffee man, Josh? See what I mean? Everybody leaned in. You've all got an opinion on this, and you probably feel strongly about it because the folks who say they'll never drink coffee feel every bit as strongly as those of you who have three cups by the time you get to work in the morning. Well, I've lived both lives, Chase. Let me take you down a little rabbit hole right quick, a little caffeine rabbit hole, if you will. So for a long time in my life, I never drank coffee. I mean, none. I had Red Bull. I have worked out for a long time. So the pre-workout that I drink, it has caffeine in it. But as for coffee, I mean, I had had it before, but maybe like a cup or maybe a sip or something like that. I had never consistently been a coffee drinker. I just knew my parents drank it growing up. I didn't. It always smelled good, but tasted nasty to me. And the true irony, there's a there's a brand of candy. I think it's called Nips. They made coffee-flavored candy that I loved. I mean, I was addicted to that stuff, but didn't like coffee in and of itself. Well, then, when I came to Nashville, when I came to 24-7 Sports, I get in our office up here, and they have one of those really fancy coffee machines. Now, you're going to have to excuse me. I don't know all the terminology. You baristas out there. I talked to someone who works at Starbucks in El Paso who listens to the show last week. I'm going to be really loose with the terminology here, and you're just going to have to roll with it. When I got there and they had that fancy coffee machine, and it got to be about 3.30 in the afternoon, I started to occasionally drink coffee. But the problem is I had no clue what that machine did. And I didn't want to stand there like an idiot, and so I just pressed buttons. And it spat something out, and I drank what it spat out, and I knew that I felt more alive at 4 p.m. that afternoon than I did at any point previously during any day that week. So I said, that was fun. think I'll do it again tomorrow. And then I did. And so it became a routine. And so a few weeks into working at 24-7, when we were still in the office, I became a coffee drinker. But the trick is, I did not know what I was drinking. I just knew that it felt like I was inhaling gasoline, and it really made me feel awake. So then we fast forward. The habit is established. I go from one cup a day to then one cup morning, one cup afternoon. Then I would just start stacking three cups. And they got a word for it. I can't, um, um, oh, man. I'll think of it as addiction. Yeah, that's what they call it, addiction. So I started to form a little bit of an addiction. You know, like if I haven't had it within 30 minutes of my normal time, I start nervously scratching on my neck, that sort of thing. You understand. You've seen the gifts before. So then the publisher's conference comes around. This is where right before the pandemic set in, the last big event that I went to was when we get all the publishers from all the team sites. They all come in Nashville and we rent out a big fancy hotel and everyone gets there and you just talk about all the different plans you have for taking over the world. Well, before we did that, the day before, a lot of the guys who live out of town come in town. And so Bud Elliott, for example, comes up from Orlando and we're just talking around the office and I kind of drift over and start, you know, making my usual concoction out of the coffee machine. He says, oh, you're a coffee man? 
Now, here's the thing about Bud. Bud is a coffee guy, and allegedly, and he has not proven this because he hasn't sent me the product yet, although there were promises made in the past, Bud allegedly makes his own cold brew coffee. I didn't even know what that is, and to be honest with you, I only drink it out of a can now. But he tells me I make my own cold brew, and so he knows exactly what he's talking about. He is fluent in coffee. So I say, yeah, I'm a coffee man. And he says, what do you drink? I said, coffee? He said, no, like, what do you drink, though? Because there are a million different options on that machine. And I said, well, um, here's the thing. I know the combination of buttons, but that's about all I know. And he said, let's see. And so I showed him what I've been drinking. And I told him, I, I drink espresso. And I had no clue. When I tell you I am not fluent in coffee, I mean, I know nothing about coffee. And I never took the time to learn. And that was the big downfall for me leading to this day. And so Bud looks at me and thinks I'm lying to him when I say this right here, this combination of buttons I just pressed, that's what I drink every day. He said, no, it's not. That's not possible. And I said, what are you talking about? Well, that's espresso. That's not coffee. And I said, to me, you just basically said tomato, tomato. They're the same thing, brother. No, no, they're not. See, espresso, it's kind of a shot that you put in the coffee. That's pure caffeine. And so what I had been doing, to fast forward to the end of this story, I had just been drinking espresso shots. And I had been putting five or six of them at the time in a cup. Well, it turns out that's equivalent to, I don't know how many milligrams of caffeine, but when I said it felt like I was ingesting gasoline, it turns out it's really not all that dissimilar from drinking actual gasoline in terms of the effect it has on your body. So he shows me what you're really supposed to do with that machine, and I drank it. It was delicious. I fell asleep like 10 minutes later, but it was delicious. And so when I talk about my coffee story, Shane, I've lived on all sides of this spectrum. But what I do now is I don't really drink coffee anymore. Again, what I do is I buy these super cold brews in a can, and it's anywhere from 180 milligrams to 250 milligrams of caffeine at a time. There's no sugar in it. There's no calories in it. So it's really just caffeine. And I don't know how to describe it. Here's how I'll describe it. So these little cans, takes no time to drink them. They're great. I'm drinking one as we speak. How does it make you feel? If someone, if I was trying to sell you on this, I would be the greatest salesman in the world for these cold brews in a can. Here's how it makes you feel. If you've ever walked in a grocery store and Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears is the first song you hear playing on the loudspeaker, that is exactly how these espresso shots in a can make you feel. Cloud nine, you could float down the aisle, you have an extra giddy up in your step. It's just great. So I prefer these now. And that could be pound for pound as intimate a peak as I've given you into my private life on this podcast to date. Martin's got a question about coaching interviews. And I got a really good story about that that I really didn't remember until I looked at the question from Martin. I'll share that with you when we come back. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love. You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Martin asked about the favorite coach interview I've ever done. Now, we've had some good coaching interviews. I had a guy criticize me for publicizing the latest Nick Saban interview we had. Yeah, like that's something that you want to keep a secret and just release with no marketing behind it. That makes all the sense in the world. Good luck getting in business, my friend. But that's not my favorite coach interview. It's great when we have Nick Saban on. Uh, We've had a lot of interviews over the past year. But my favorite interview is one of the first ones I ever had. Now, this did not make sense to me. I thought when I first got into sports media that interviews, there goes another real big clap of thunder. I thought these interviews were going to be impossible to get. So there I am down in Columbus. We're doing a late night college football 30-minute show, five nights per week on the CW, which is in the TV world a D2 station. It's not your main NBC, ABC, Fox. It's the secondary affiliate network that you have. And so we're doing it on that channel. I mean, friends and family are watching the show. We, we ended up building a pretty good following there, but it's a late night D2 broadcast, Columbus, Georgia. We're not exactly sending man to the moon on this thing. And so I just start reaching out. I figure, uh, what can I lose? I start reaching out to all kinds of universities, and I either get, we'll see, no or no response at all to my interview request for head coaches. But then Claude Felton from the University of Georgia gets back to me. I asked for Mark Richt. At the time, Mark Richt was the head coach at Georgia. And Claude says, hey, when do you want him? I said, what? He said, yeah, when do you want him? And so there was no hesitation. Mark Rick said, I'll do it. And Mark Rick comes on that show, and we had a really good back and forth. It was before Georgia opened fall camp. I want to say it was 2013 or 2014. It probably was 2014. And so Mark Rick ended up being the first coaching interview I got. I got coaches from the Sun Belt not giving me the time of day. And the head coach at the University of Georgia comes on that show. And what was funny is we had to pre-record it because the actual show happened at 10 o'clock at night. And so this was my first taste of interacting with college football coaches. He gets on and he says, now, Josh, let me know, are we live or are we pre-recording here? And I said, we're pre-recording, coach. And so we can cut out whatever you need. He said, oh, no, I don't need you to cut anything out. Believe it or not, I've done this once or twice. No, what I have is I'm expecting calls from recruits at any given time. And so if I have to take one of those calls, can we just pause this thing and pick it up later? And I said, yeah, you know what? I think I'll allow that. So, Martin, I'm going to roll with Mark Richt as my favorite coach interview that I've ever done, mainly because it was the first coaching interview I've ever done. And I have not forgotten that. The the head coach at Georgia tells you yes when you got the head coach at unnamed universities and conferences of, let's just say, far less stature than the SEC telling you no. So thank you to Mark Rick, who I'm sure is listening to the podcast this morning. George has a question about Jamison Williams. That's the transfer yesterday. If you're listening on Thursday, this happened. Transfer from Ohio State to Alabama, wide receiver, played the national championship game against Alabama. I think he had one catch in that game. Jamison Williams could outrun his own shadow. He is a big-time speed guy. He'll fit in well at Alabama. Uh, It's a situation where all parties win. Alabama wins because they bolster their receiver room, which wasn't exactly hurting. But at the same time, I do think Williams is probably good enough to get on the field right away for them. Ohio State is overflowing with receiver talent. It's the deepest wide receiver room in the country. They have right now 
sort of on paper what Alabama has had over the last couple of years. Now, granted, we've already seen the production from Alabama. You still have to see the production from a lot of the guys at Ohio State. I think you'll see it. Uh, spoiler alert. But this is good for everyone. It's not good for the rest of you. I was thinking about this the other day. I was doing a, another show. and We were talking about Auburn. And the host that had me on was talking about what is needed from Brian Harson and what's needed in recruiting. And I said, well, before we get to recruiting, let's see how the transfer portal plays out. Who's to say, and ironically, I mentioned Ohio State. I said, what if a quarterback or a wide receiver or two or both just all of a sudden hit the open market, the transfer market from Ohio State, and they land at Auburn? I'm not using any intel or information I have. I just threw it out there as a hypothetical. I mean, that could change the trajectory of Auburn football for this year and beyond. Well, there's also another possibility, as we're seeing borne out here in the Jamison Williams situation, where you could just leave one loaded roster and go to another loaded roster. And that's exactly what he did. He's going from a place he can win a national championship to a place he'll be favored to win the national championship. But I think by and large, when you look at the transfer portal, we're seeing a lot of test cases play out right now. In many different ways, Jamison Williams and otherwise, many different ways we're seeing test cases. There are no trends yet. There are no case studies yet. Right now, we're at the kind of outset or the infancy, if you will, of the transfer portal era. And so 10 years from now, we'll be able to look right now kind of like we do already with the early signing period and know what to expect. I remember when the early signing date first happened, you had a wide range of opinion. Some people told you, now, there may be a couple of kids commit on that day, but February, I mean, that'll still be the big national signing day. And then Georgia locked up a number one class in the country because they just smoked everyone on that early signing date the first year round. Well, then the next year, people adjusted. And I think the same way with the transfer portal in that we're going to find out what to expect. And especially now that you have the grant with all the conferences basically getting on board, or I eventually think they will get on board to say that you can transfer one time in conference even. I mean, that removes all the barriers. And so every single year, you're going to enter this period. You don't have to like it. Whether you like it or not, that's independent. I'm not even going down that road right now. But if you're a head coach worth his salt, you're going to have to figure out a way to leverage it to your advantage, whether you, again, like it or not. A lot of coaches out there who grew up playing defense don't like that they have to score 55 points a game to win. But yet they not only do it, they have figured out a way to win big time doing it. You got to do the same thing with the transfer portal. You'll have to do the same thing with name, image, and likeness. All right, let's hit this question here. Uh, how about this one? You can think along with me. Which game would you rather see in 2021 for Florida? Alabama versus Florida or Georgia versus Florida? Both these games are on the schedule. Georgia, Florida every year. But Bama goes to the swamp in week three this year. That's the one I'd rather see. I would rather see Bama at Florida because that is an early season game. And I want you to think about this out loud. I was on David Waters' podcast. Uh, he does a really good Florida podcast, Gators Breakdown, yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. And he was asking me about this too. And I thought early in the season, Alabama on the road, a lot of young kids are going to play for Alabama this year, and they haven't been in a true college road environment because of COVID last year. So you're going to throw them in front of potentially a packed house in Gainesville in early season action. So maybe the offense is not quite settled in yet. You got a lot of new pieces you're trying to work with. But then at the same time, I think Alabama's defense is going to be massively upgraded. So you're going to take that unit on the road. Defense travels with you wherever you go. And on Florida's side, you're trying to figure out offense with Emory Jones, and you're not going to have the downfield passing attack you had with Kyle Trask. So how are you manufacturing offense? Can you do it enough to outscore Alabama? What is outscoring Alabama going to look like in that game? Do you have to score 40, or is it going to be a 26-23 to 23 kind of game? I don't know. That's really fascinating. So that's the early season game that I pick 
And I actually do plan on being at that game. So for whatever that's worth, I actually think I'll be at both of these games. Georgia, Florida, you can't go wrong. But I, I've been at that game several years. I'd actually pick this one. Last time I was down at Florida was for the Auburn-Florida game. And that was a great home environment. I mean, the crowd so obviously impacted that game that day that I would expect an, I'd expect a better environment, actually, for this one. Uh, because it's the first time, it's the first big game in that venue since COVID happened. And I would expect a lot of people, a lot of our friends down in Florida will be very happy to be back in the swamp and creating the home field environment that that team deserves. Really good podcast this morning. Remember, if you want to book a Zoom consultation, joshpate706 at gmail.com. And also, I've been interacting with a lot of you on Instagram. Really having fun over there. Uh, We've started to take that seriously. The account has started to grow. Word of mouth, always the best marketing. So make sure you're following me there and make sure you're telling 50, yes, 50 of your friends about it. At Late Kick Josh. Got a whole lot of stuff planned for that account that you will really love as the season approaches. And during the season, blowout, blowout coverage. So thank you so much for listening this morning. For Producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your day and God bless. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.